faith from Old Testament times. It's probably the most preached on uh, passage in the book of Hebrews, um, well known. Um, now, we're kind of set up for chapter 11 with everything else that's gone on in the book. And as we have discussed a number of times, the author of Hebrews in this sermon is trying to get the people to remain in the faith in the Lord Jesus and not abandon the faith because of persecution. And certainly chapter 10 had a lot about that. And to really set us up for chapter 11, we'll read the last verse of chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, those who abandon the faith and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And with that sentence, he then has this lengthy chapter on faith, beginning with actually a, a definition of faith, which we don't see in other places. We can read in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The basis of our faith is not any human effort. We do not generate our own faith. We are incapable of generating faith because when we are born into this world, our hearts are sinful and naturally rebel against God. The basis of faith, it's the promises of God. Now, the promises of God have two functions here. The first is, they are the actual substance. They are what we believe. So when he says we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, that is the substance of what we believe. But at the same time, the promises of God are the word of God and are very powerful. So these promises not only are the substance of what we believe, they are the reason we can believe because these promises are the word of God and the Holy Spirit works through these promises to work faith in our hearts. So they're the substance and the power, both. Now, when God works faith in us, then we have the assurance of things hoped for. And what he means here is this. All God's promises and their ultimate fulfillment, which is fully realized when he comes again. We have forgiveness now. We have eternal life now. But we're going to receive it when he comes again in all its fullness. Through the promises of God, 
which are not only the substance, but the power to believe. God works in us assurance of what is hoped for, that is, the ultimate fulfillment of all promises when Jesus Christ comes again. Not that we don't have them now, but there will be the ultimate fulfillment. No more death, no more sickness, no more evil, no more wickedness. The ultimate fulfillment is when he comes again. And that's what we hope for. And the faith that we have in the promises of God give us that assurance. And then the second part, the conviction of things not seen. We haven't seen this ultimate ultimate fulfillment. We have not seen it. Have not seen it. It is beyond us. But we have the conviction. In other words, we are convinced it's true because of the faith that works in us, a sure hope, and we are absolutely convinced that even though we haven't seen it, it's going to happen. And that's what he gives of the definition of faith. Now, this would have important meaning to the people that he was preaching to. They had the promises... They believed in the promises, but they were in the future. And frankly, they didn't want to go through the persecution to get there. So they were willing to give it up. Okay? And this is the exhortation not to do that. And he's not saying, he's not accusing anybody. Notice that in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not us. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Who are those? What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Okay? Not yet realized not yet brought to fulfillment. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. That word's going to be used in this chapter. means they were commended by God for their faith, their trust in his promises. Okay? So with that, he begins, and he begins with example, an example of faith that looks backward. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, okay? Now he's looking backward. His first example is creation. The center point of his argument is what created the world? The word of God. The promises of God. Okay? He is likening the word of God in creation to the ultimate word of God in salvation. It's the same. We have always taught that the world was created out of nothing at all, from nothing, nothing that was seen. So the world was created out of the unseen. Visible things were made out of invisible things by the word of God. They were brought into being 
by the Word of God. His creative Word. When He spoke, it happened. It happened. And I've used this illustration before. Here we have a folding chair. When we say folding chair, everyone in this room knows what that means. It's a symbol. Those letters together are a symbol. And it registers in our head that's a folding chair. God's word is different. When he says folding chair, one appears. Okay? It's not a symbol. It's power. So when God said, let there be light, light simply appeared. Not symbol, but power. That's what's being said. He brought visible things out of invisible by the word of God. All right. Now, the first three examples that he gives are three examples what we classify as primeval times. Ancient, ancient. And he gives three examples. The first one, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel is a type of Christ, because Abel offered a sacrifice to God and it was accepted just as Christ offered a sacrifice to God and was accepted. It's a pointing to what Christ would ultimately do. Notice it says, through which he was commended as righteous. By faith, he was commended as right with God. Okay? As right with God. And, though he died, he still speaks. His testimony, his testimony is that even though he died, there's life. There's life. Okay? Doesn't end there. His testimony still speaks. Okay? This makes it clear that the reason that Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable was not because of what it was, because he didn't have faith. Where Abel did. So, by faith his sacrifice was accepted. Though he died, he still speaks. The testimony of Abel is... Even though he died, his testimony still speaks, just as Jesus Christ died and his testimony still speaks because he rose from the dead. It's a point pointing towards Christ. And the point is, Abel had faith. If you don't have faith, your sacrifices are not acceptable to God. And we'll get to that further. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, at, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. All right. If you go through the genealogies that are in Genesis, 
At the end of each person, it says, and he died, until you get to Enoch. And then what did it say about Enoch? He walked with God. He walked with God. This is making it clear, too, he was commended as having pleased God. There's only one way to please God, and that's through faith. So he was a person of faith. He did not die, but was taken to be with God. Again, pointing to Christ. Christ would die, but he would rise again. Okay? He walked with God, and God took him. And then a statement that is very important. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We all know people that are the nicest people that you ever want to meet. But they don't believe in God. They refuse to believe in God. They're simply nice. Okay? All the nice things they do are not pleasing to God because they have no faith. A good work, by definition, is a work done according to God's commandments by one who has faith. Without faith, you cannot do good works. They're unacceptable to God. It all begins with faith. That's what he's saying here. Seeking, seeking him in faith, believing in him. And, and that's the key here. Um, Judy had asked me about the parable last week of the three men who received talents. Okay. What was the problem with the guy that buried his talent? He didn't believe in the true God. And he confesses it himself. I know you're a hard man. That's not our God. Our God wants to deal with us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he loves us and he forgives us. That's our God. And the first two knew it, and they used their talents to the glory of God. But the third one was under the law. That applies here. Without faith in God, without believing in him, and seeking him through faith, it is impossible to please him. Don't think of the word reward as that which you earn, but as that which he gives. Okay. It's a reception from you, by you, from him. It is impossible to please him without faith. There's not a stronger passage in the Bible against work righteousness than that verse. Okay? Simply doesn't allow it. So he comes to his third example in primeval times. Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. 
in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. None of you have ever been asked to build a ship as big as a football field in your backyard in St. Louis, Missouri. But that's basically what Noah was told to do. He couldn't see that there was going to be a flood. He didn't know it. He did not know it. But he obeyed God's word in faith and built the ark. Built the ark. Saving his household. It's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the cross of Calvary to save his household. Then it goes on in 1 Peter and says, We are saved by water. Just as Noah was saved by water, by a ship floating on the water, and that water is baptism. So Noah, notice his construction of the ark did two things. First of all, it condemned the world. It basically said God is upset and is going to be bring judgment on the world. That's the law side. The gospel side is he's going to save his man of faith. Law and gospel. He's going to save his man of faith. So these are the three examples. He's an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God, apart from the law and the prophets, a righteousness of Jesus Christ that is given to us. Okay? So these are the first three examples that are from primeval times, okay? the earliest of times. And what he's doing is he's showing faith reigns, okay? Faith reigns. And then he shifts and goes into Abraham. And there are several examples from Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was told by God to pack up and move but God did not tell him where he was going. In faith, he obeyed. He went to a place. He didn't know where it was. He didn't know what it was going to be like. He just went. He believed God You see, here's the example again. He believes in the unseen. He can't see it. But he believes in it and follows God's word. Okay? Second example. By faith... He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, 
whose designer and builder is God. All right. He went to a land of promise, and notice that it says specifically it was a foreign land, and he lived in tents. Now, we need to talk about that a little bit. The only protection a person in this uh, time, at this time, was land ownership. Land ownership determined your social status, determined your economic status, determined your cultural status, provided for your security, was even important for your religious status, so that you had standing in the community and that you were a person with property. It meant everything. What's being said here is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never owned property. They lived in a country where they were foreigners and they lived in tents. The implication is this, that by faith, their wealth, their standing, their security, their position was not defined by the fact that they owned property. It was defined by the fact they had faith in God. They had faith in God. And they weren't waiting for anything right away. They were looking forward to a city built with firm foundations. Implication? The only cities that these people that the author's writing to, they would know is major cities, Corinth, Rome. But the implication is that Abraham and his sons were waiting on cities and foundations that were even better than that that were going to be provided by God. Unseen, but that's what they were looking for. That's what they were looking for. Whose designer and builder is God. That's where their faith was. They weren't worried about the definitions of land ownership according to human regulation. Their faith was in God. They didn't see it, but their faith was in God. A third example. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she was considered, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That's God. God had promised. There from one man, and here's the great thing, if you want to be humbled, have this said about you, and him as good as dead. Want that on your tombstone? Were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
The implication is here, not only did God give Sarah the power to conceive, but gave Abraham the power to be a man so that they would have a child. And he was a hundred and she was ninety. Okay? And yet God kept his promise. And notice how Sarah's faith is she received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Okay? And it wasn't just, it wasn't just one descendant. It goes on to say, as many as the stars of heaven and the grain of sand, grains of sand on a seashore. Showing that Abraham and Sarah totally trusted in God. Then comes kind of an interlude. Okay? These all died in faith. Verse 13. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They never got the promised land. Was never theirs. Never theirs. It was promised. But they never saw it. Abraham didn't see his descendants as many as the sand of the seashore or the stars in the heaven. He didn't see it. But they saw it from afar. In other words, they saw the unseen things from afar through faith. Their eyes were opened to what God was going to do through faith, not through visible eyes, human eyes, but by faith. And they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, and that applies to every one of us. We don't belong here. Heaven is our home. We are strangers and aliens and exiles as long as we live in this world. By faith, we know that our true home is in heaven. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. They were perfectly capable of packing up and moving back home. If that's what they thought their homeland was. But they did not do it. They did not pack up and move home. Their eyes were on the promises of God. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. God is not afraid to commend you as his child. It's actually saying he's proud of you. 
He is proud of you that you live in this world and have faith in his promise. God is proud of you, and he's not going to shrink back from calling you his child. He commends you for it. Because you have faith in his son and in his promises. And we are looking for a better country, a heavenly home. Heavenly home. Okay? Another one about Abraham, the ultimate one about Abraham. Go ahead. Yeah. Isn't there a sort of a double thought here that about land of Israel, but then heaven is the real? That is correct. The promised land is a foreshadowing. It is an earthly gift that foreshadows the heavenly gift of the promised land. The greater gift. The greater gift. Okay. Now, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay? That statement is only made in Hebrews. It's not in Genesis. When Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, God stopped it. But what it's saying here is, Abraham had such a faith in God. God had promised him Isaac was the one through which all his offspring were going to come. All his offspring were going to be blessed. He had such confidence that if he killed Isaac on that altar, God would raise him from the dead. That's what this is saying. That statement is not in Genesis, it is here. And that's exactly what happened. Figuratively speaking, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son, but he stopped him. Ultimately, God would sacrifice his own son and would not stop it but would raise him from the dead. The sacrifice of Isaac is a foreshadowing of what God would do to his own son on the cross of Calvary. So that we would have ultimate salvation. Abraham was willing to do that by faith. Yes. Yes, the ram that was caught in the thicket that Abraham sacrificed in place of Isaac was to show that God would sacrifice a lamb in our place. In our place as our substitute. So the ram in the thicket is indeed pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God, who would be sacrificed in our place and raised from the dead. Okay? So another another example, the ultimate example in Abraham's life. Then verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. 
After Abraham was gone, you remember the story about Jacob and Esau, and Jacob cheated Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. But the fact is, Isaac still blessed both of them. There are blessings for both of them. Those blessings that Isaac gave were based on what God had promised his father, Abraham. And so, Jacob, Isaac promised, made these promises to Jacob and Esau. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob took the boys and went to Egypt. Okay? When Jacob was dying, he blessed the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, who would be included in the division of land when they reached the promised land. Okay? Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Okay? What does that mean? It means this. When Jacob came to Egypt, he had absolutely nothing but his staff. And so upon his death, he worshiped God over the one thing he still had, the staff from Israel. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. When Joseph died, he gave direction that his bones, whenever they left Egypt, whenever they left Egypt, they were to take his bones and bury them in the promised land because he had faith that it was going to happen just as God had promised. And God had promised that in Genesis chapter 15. I'll read you those verses. All right. Um, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That is the time the children of Israel in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Okay? The promise of God. You're going to be sojourners and servants in the land. You're going to come out of this land. I'm going to bring you out of this land. You're going to come out with great possessions. This promise was handed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. They knew the promise. They were going to get out of here, and they were going home. And Joseph believed the promise and said, when we get out of here, take my bones. Because he believed God's promise. So all these examples of faith, and we're not not anywhere close to done. Um, We're only through, uh, we haven't even started on Moses. Okay, we haven't even started on Moses. And, And then there are others. 
And that's where we're going to pick up next week in verse 23 with Moses, okay? And continue this great chapter of faith, okay? And there are other statements that are made in this chapter. They're not made elsewhere in Scripture. We learn other things about these situations from the book of Hebrews. All right, questions, bud? You commented about land ownership and, and that being uh, something that, that it's, shows what a person It's defining, was. yeah. And Abraham did buy some land when it was time to bury. And, Correct. And I think that's where Joseph's bones need to be. Yeah. They bought land. He did not buy massive amounts of land, but only big enough to bury his relatives, himself and his relatives. And they tried to give it to him because he was such a great man and he would not accept it. He bought it. He bought it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. she's included in this chapter. Um, uh, thankfully, God's a forgiving God and didn't just slap her when she left. Okay? He forgave her and then she came to faith. Yeah, Don. Then don't ask it. <laughs> <laughs> With all the great faith these people had, why do we think Enoch was spared death? Did he do something? We have no idea. Because he's just one name in the midst of a genealogy. And there's no other stories or narrative about Enoch besides he walked with God. That's all we have. So, that's all we can say. That's all we can say. Yes. So, I mean, that's what we're reading about. Well, it's, ba it's based on the promises of God. Now, we have the blessing of having seen many of those promises fulfilled. They didn't. Abraham hadn't seen a thing when he left and traveled. He hadn't seen a thing. We have that testimony. And that, of course, helps us in our faith. The faith causes our actions that are commendable by God. Actions on our part never precede faith or they're not acceptable to God. Only what flows out of faith. Now, God can perform actions and keep his promises even to faithless people. I mean, the children of Israel... When they went into the wilderness, God could have canceled the whole thing, but he still gave them the promised land. The promise to David was, if your descendants will obey me, there will be someone on your throne from your line forever. Well, they didn't, but God still saw to it that the line of David was preserved and Jesus came. So God can do that, we can't. Our actions cannot precede faith or they're not acceptable to God. Yes. It was, it was only temporary. They viewed it as only temporary. Abraham was a very wealthy man, had servants, uh, but he didn't own any land. He was a, he was a, a traveling uh, no man. Yeah. All right. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.